Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you We have with us uh, someone whose ministry and the ministry of his spiritual father uh, has touched millions, literally hundreds of millions all over the world. Um, I've always wanted to have him uh, here at Jesus House. We were privileged almost 20 years ago to have his uh, spiritual father who's going to be with the Lord, the great evangelist Reinhard Bonke here at Jesus House. And we believe that was pivotal for us uh, in the way that uh, it positioned the church. And so, you know, we're grateful uh, to have him with us. He's a pastor, he's a teacher, he's an evangelist, he's an author. Uh, but what I admire most about him is the passion he has for people to come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has led tens of millions to Christ all around the world. Their ministry, Christ for All Nations, is very dear to those of us who are of an African heritage because uh, Reinhard Bonnke committed himself to bringing millions, tens of millions, and probably more, uh, to the Lord uh, in Africa. Um, and we're so grateful to have him with us here on the 8th of January, the start of the year. I believe that it's pivotal. It will position us as we realign ourselves with God's heart. And God's heart primarily for those who don't yet know his son Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so, Jesus House, will you welcome with me, give him a Jesus House welcome as he comes to share his heart. I believe he will leave a deposit here in Jesus House that will set our hearts on fire for those who don't yet know Jesus. And I believe it's a precursor to a harvest of souls, not just into this church, but into the body of Christ. Will you make welcome uh, evangelist Pastor Daniel Colenda? That you may heal broken families in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the answer for this nation. Jesus is the answer for Africa. Say amen. Christ. 
put our hands together for Jesus this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We give you the praise and the glory that's due to your name. Hallelujah. Are you happy this morning? Praise God. You can be seated. What a pleasure it is to be here at Jesus' house. I've heard so many great things about this church. Um, I believe one of the greatest churches in the United Kingdom. And I believe God has strategically positioned you to impact this nation for the gospel. Amen? Does anybody believe that? Okay, listen, I'm used to preaching in Africa. So you guys are going to have to talk back to me or I'm going to think I'm doing something wrong, okay? Um, I want to thank Pastor Agu for the invitation to be here. Um, what a great man of God and, uh, and a man that I consider a new friend. Uh, I hope that I'm able to come back many times and to become a part of the family here. I always say the first time I preach somewhere, I'm a guest. From now on, I'm family, okay? Um, one of the things in Pastor Agu's heart, as I'm sure you realize for this coming year, is that there would be a spiritual realignment taking place. Not only in this church, but I believe in the church, generally. And I, I resonate with that desire in his heart to see that. I believe that God is realigning us as a global church family. Not just because it's a good idea, but because we desperately need to be positioned for the days that are ahead. We are not living in times like maybe we are used to in the past. The days that we are entering into now are critical and significant. These are the last days. These are the end times. And the days for playing games, the days for playing church are long past. And I believe that there are things that God has Allowed in the past, he's winked at them. We read about that in the book of Acts, that in former times, God winked at these things. Not anymore. Now the severity of the times changes. And there are things we used to get away with, we're not going to get away with anymore. There are things that used to be tolerated that aren't going to be tolerated anymore. It is time to get serious. And one of the, one of the things that we have to get serious about is the lost. Let me tell you something. You are the answer for this nation. Let me say that again, because some of you will let that go in one ear and out the other. You are the answer for this nation. Maybe you're waiting for some big evangelist to come through with a gospel crusade and save the United Kingdom so that you can just get on with life as usual. That's not how it works. God is going to use you. And he's going to use his body. He's going to use every individual one. And so I believe that one of the things that... that I'm praying will happen even this morning in this church is that there will be an impartation for a burden to see this city one for Jesus. And it begins with us. Amen. And, and I believe that this happens not only through what I'm going to say, because the words are important, but how many of you know that beyond the words themselves, there is a spirit that can be imparted to you. And that's what I'm praying is that there would be a burden imparted to you from the Holy Ghost this morning. That you will not be able to go back to life as usual from this day forward in Jesus' name. Just take your hand and put it on your heart. And say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. 
We're going to chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. I've only got a few minutes to preach this morning. And I'm going to do this quickly, but I believe that every word is significant. And so I pray that God would give you a supernatural attention span. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. This is Jesus speaking. Many of your Bibles have these words actually written in red. How many of you know when Jesus talks, we ought to listen? This is not just another man talking, not just another preacher, not just another opinion. This is God in the flesh. And he's speaking to his disciples, and this is what he tells them. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, now freely give. Let me read it for you one more time. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, now freely give. Now listen, I want to get you involved in this, okay? So we're going to say this together. And we're going to do it phrase by phrase because every phrase of this is a command that we are to live out. You know, I talked to one pastor who who had a very large church and a very sophisticated church in, in the United States and He told me, he said, you know, we are very careful about our mission statement. A lot of churches have mission statements. And he said, what what we did for this mission statement is we gathered our staff together and we we took about a hundred of them on a retreat to a, a, a camp in the mountains. And we spent a week there together fasting and praying about our mission statement. And he said, we spent several days agonizing over every word. It was only about one paragraph long. But every sentence of that paragraph we we discussed and we analyzed and we debated. And then when we had formulated the perfect mission statement for our church, then we took the rest of the time and we just prayed that God would bless that mission statement. And I thought, now that sounds very spiritual. That sounds very noble. But I actually know a better way. Instead of, instead of coming up with a very clever mission statement and asking God to bless it, there's actually a much more efficient way to go about this. Just go ahead and find out what mission statement God is already blessing, adopt that mission statement, and then you can go to dinner. You, can, you don't even have to pray. It's blessed already because Jesus spoke it. You know, there's a lot of people, especially in the new year, this is a time everybody likes to fast. You know, how many of you know that the new year resolution time, people are fasting, people are praying for their new year. If you're going to fast and disobey, you might as well go ahead and eat. You'd be much better off to obey and have lunch than to fast for 40 days and not do what God has told you to do. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody here this morning. The power is found in obedience and faith. Witch doctors fast for power. That's not how we operate. Our power has three sources. The cross, the upper room, and the empty tomb. Let me say it again. The cross, the upper room, and the empty tomb. And we access that power through faith and obedience. And so may God give us the grace to adopt this into our lives. Let's say it together. Say, as you go, preach. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. Now remember when Jesus said this, he was looking in the eyes of his disciples. And he was pointing at them. So this is what I want you to do. We're going to do it again, but I want you to look at the person next to you. And I want you to point your finger at them. And I want you to say it to them as a command. Say, as you go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Now freely give. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? If we would just obey that verse, if we could adopt that, I mean not just as a a mission statement that we put on a plaque and hang on the wall, but if we made that the objective and the mission and the commission of our lives, you would change this nation. There were 120 people in the upper room that were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And those 120, in obedience to this command turned into millions and billions around the world. Imagine what God could do with the group right here in this room. I know many of you have emigrated to this nation from other countries. I do not believe that is a mistake. I believe you have been sent here as a missionary to the United Kingdom. Maybe you thought you came here because of education or you came here for a job or you came here for some other kind of opportunity. Oh no, my friend, you've been tricked by God. He brought you here as a representative of heaven. Your mission, your calling is to impact this nation with the power of the gospel. Do you believe that? If you don't now, you will before the morning's over here. Let me just talk about this passage a little bit. Jesus says, as you go, everybody say, as you go, put the emphasis on you. As you go. You see... We have, we have done something terrible in the church. Can I come down here? Am I going to be okay? We, we, we're allowed to do that in this church? Okay. I don't want to come out of the light. I know sometimes that's a problem for the cameramen. We have done this terrible thing in the church where we have segregated the body of Christ into two distinct categories. We call them the clergy and what? The laity. You know what that means, right? The clergy, these are the professional full-time preachers. They are the ministers. They are the pastors. They are the preachers. And then the rest of the body of Christ we call the laity. That does not exist in the Bible. That is not a biblical model. That is an invention of, of human wisdom. Actually, let me, let me even go a step further. That is a demonic assassination on the biblical mission of the church. Because this is how the the, the book of Ephesians 4 describes what we would consider the clergy, the, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. It says that their job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. In other words, if you compare the body of Christ to a football team, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, we are like the water boys. Somebody thinks we're the captains. Oh, no, there's one captain. His name is Jesus. There's not a bunch of different captains in the body of Christ. There's one captain. There's one head. There's one leader. 
He is Jesus Christ. That's the one we follow. Our job as as the fivefold ministry gifts is to serve. Jesus said, let the greatest among you be the servant of all. And he modeled that by getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of his disciples. I'll tell you what, if you, if you follow a leader that won't wash your feet, run. Because you are not called to serve another man. You are called to serve Jesus. And we work together as brothers and sisters. But what has happened is the enemy has convinced half of the, well, no, I shouldn't even say that. The enemy has convinced 98% of the body of Christ that their job is to sit in chairs as observers and applaud and say amen and give money while 2% of the body of Christ does all the work. That is not the biblical model. The biblical model is that 2% equips the 98% to go out and win their world for Jesus. If you don't win the United Kingdom, nobody will. I promise you the preachers are not going to do it. I promise you the great evangelists are not going to do it. I promise you some big crusade is not going to do it. It's going to require every man, woman, boy, and girl filled with the power of the Holy Spirit impacting their world for Jesus wherever they go. You know, where we live in Orlando... There is a, there is a, we have a church there now, and there's a community of evangelists. Everywhere you go in, in Orlando, you're going to get preached to. I went to the mall the other day, and five or six times I saw people from our church in the mall praying for someone. Just one walking from one side of the shopping mall to the other side of the shopping mall. Five or six times I saw members of our church there with people praying with them to receive Jesus. I tell you, we can turn this city into a sanctuary. Hallelujah. We can impact this city for Jesus, but it's going to take somebody being willing to obey what the Bible says. Now, here's here's the problem, if I can be very honest, that most people don't do this. I think most of you, if you are saved, you want to reach the lost. If you don't want to reach the lost, then I would say you might be lost yourself. Because if you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is inside of you, you are going to desire what God desires. And number one on God's wish list is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But here's the problem is people feel insecure. They feel unqualified. They feel unworthy. They don't feel equipped. They don't know how to do what they know they need to do. And number one, we feel self-conscious. Let's just be honest. How many of you feel a little bit self-conscious sometimes? Okay, so there's a few honest people, and the rest of you are liars. Listen, I I have preached to, I don't know, 30 million people. I still feel self-conscious. Everyone feels these emotions sometimes. We read about these stories in the Bible. You read the story of Gideon hiding in a wine cellar. This is one of the greatest judges, one of the greatest deliverers. In the beginning of his his career, he was hiding for his life because he was such a coward. And then when the Lord appears to him, the Lord calls him a mighty man of fearless courage. It's because God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. God sees you through a different lens. He sees you through the lens of what he created you to be. When he was fashioning you and forming you in your mother's womb, he had a dream for your life. 
And whenever he looks at you, he sees not what you are, but what you could be. And he always calls to that potential. Like he called Lazarus out of the grave. Come forth is what he's saying to you. Every moment of every day. You know, one of the great challenges that we have in the church, unfortunately, is that many times there is a competitive spirit. People actually don't like to see anyone else succeeding around them. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I know Christians shouldn't be this way. But it very often is the case that when God really begins to bless you, if you step out of that, of that, um, you know, that box of, of what is normal Christianity into something extraordinary, if you begin to share the gospel, if you begin to see you know, things happening, you will find persecution even from some of your friends and family members. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I was shopping for, um, years ago, I, I, I saw, um, I went to a friend's house and he had this very beautiful aquarium with beautiful tropical fish. And I was intrigued. I'd never seen anything like this before. So I started to do some research. I thought, I want one of these beautiful aquariums in my house. So I, I shopped around and, and I found out there are all kinds of aquariums that you can buy. There's aquariums for freshwater fish and Aquariums for saltwater fish, and there are aquariums for uh, jellyfish, and seahorses, and corals, and all kinds of different sea creatures. But the one that interested me the most was the aquarium for crabs. You all know crabs, right? The, is that what you call them here? With these, with these pinchers on each side, these claws. We like to eat them in Florida, where I'm from. But the, the crabs... I noticed that the, the crab aquariums had no lids on the top. And, and, and this, at first, it intrigued me because I thought, well, won't the crabs climb out of the aquarium and escape? And the pet shop owner said to me, oh, no, you don't have to worry. I said, why not? He said, if one crab tries to climb out, the other crabs will reach up and pull him back down again. And I thought to myself, you know, that sounds like a lot of Christians I know. The church is filled with crabby Christians. We don't like to see people succeed where we have failed. We don't like to see people being elevated above our position. We don't like to see God lifting somebody out of the aquarium of church life as usual. But I have good news for you, my friend. God doesn't see you the way that your brother sees you, your sister sees you, your cousin sees you, your, your friend, your neighbor, your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your grandpa. He sees you in a way that you don't even see yourself. He sees the potential that is inside of you and he calls to it. And if you will respond to that call with simple obedience, you will discover incredible grace and power that is there. And that's why it says, as you go, everybody say, go, go, go. It's because if you want to see the power of God in action that is inside of you, you're going to have to do something. You say, well, Daniel, I, I know you, you're saying that there's all of this potential inside of me, but I don't see it. I've never seen somebody come to the Lord. I've never witnessed a miracle. I've never seen God use me in that way. How do you know that I have that potential? Well, imagine, you know, I don't know, I don't keep up with uh, sports in the UK too much, but, but like, who is the greatest footballer in, in the UK? 
Ronaldo? Okay. I think we're going to start a fight here. I better be careful. Let's say whoever you think it is, okay? The, whoever you think is the greatest footballer in this country, let's say you have them over to your house for tea. And they sit there at your breakfast table. You're having a lovely conversation. They're drinking their tea. Can you see the potential and the power and the talent that is in their life while they sit there at your kitchen table? Yes or no? Of course not. But if you take them down to the football stadium and you throw the football in onto the field and the teams begin to play, then you will begin to see the power and the skill and the talent that is inside that person. Let me tell you, let me tell you why most Christians never realize the potential that God has put inside of them. It's because they spend their whole lives sitting in the pews at church watching people do what they wish that they could do. But that is not your calling. You have not been called to sit. There was never a commission, a calling, an anointing, a gifting given in Scripture for sitters. God doesn't sit with sitters. He goes with goers. He works with workers. He uses those who obey and who go. That's why he said, as you go, you've got to go. You've got to go. Let me see. Let's say that again. I'm putting the emphasis on two different words. You've got to go. And you've got to go. If you miss either one of those things, you're going to miss it. It's not about waiting for somebody else to do the work. It's about you doing the work. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got to do this. But you've also got to do this. It means stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, I think a lot of the churches in the United Kingdom practice what I call spider web evangelism. You know how a spider operates, right? Let me take my jacket off. It's getting a little warm. A spider, a spider is an, an ambush predator. What it does is it, it builds a, a web in, in an ideal location. Maybe it's in a corner where it knows that there's a lot of traffic of other insects. So he builds this perfect web and he puts all the silky strands in their place. And when it's just the way he likes it, the spider climbs into the web and sits and waits and waits and waits and waits and waits. Very patient. And you know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for some poor unsuspecting bug to come along and get stuck in the web and then the spider pounces and sucks all the life out. This is how most churches in, in the UK operate. The pastor, some, some great man of God, he, he finds a few of the Christians that all have the same heart and they look around town for the most perfect corner between two very busy streets. And they, they spend time and money and energy building a beautiful building. And, and I tell you what, they put so much effort into it. Everything has to be just right. Just the right color of carpet. Just the right paint on the walls. The lights have to be beautiful. The, the, the temperature in the room has to be just right. They spend so much time and effort and energy perfecting that space. And when it's just the way the pastor likes it, 
Or maybe I should say more accurately, when it's just the way the pastor's wife likes it, (laughs) then all the people of God come inside that building like a spider in the web and they sit and they wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Do you know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for some poor, unsuspecting sinner to come along and find themselves unwittingly in the midst of the church. And when that happens, then the pastor will pounce and all the people will shout, get him, pastor, get him, get him. And maybe once or twice a decade, somebody gets saved in our church. And the people feel very happy about that. My friend, listen, Jesus did not say, I will make you spiderweb evangelists. He said, I will make you what? Fishers of men. Do you know how a fisherman operates? I can tell you it's precisely the opposite of the way a spider operates. A fisherman does not sit on the shore and wait for the fish to jump into his boat. A fisherman leaves the comfort of the shore. He gets into a ship. He pushes away from the dock out into the deep. He throws his net into the water and pulls those fish out of their world into his world. And a miracle happens in the kingdom of God. When the fish are caught, then the fish become the fishermen. Can I tell you how to have a soul winning church? Win souls and then those new converts become your very best evangelists. A lot of people, many of you looking at me like, like, I don't know if you have this expression here, but a deer in the headlights. Where I live, there's lots of deers. And when a car comes down the road at night and the deer sees the headlights, they don't know which way to go. So they freeze. And you see the look in their eyes. Do I go right? Do I go left? You go forward in Jesus' name. This is not a time to hesitate. It's not a time to halt. It's not a time to wait. Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke used to always say, if you want to catch fish, don't throw your net in the bathtub. The reason that a lot of people aren't catching fish, the reason a lot of churches aren't seeing the lost saved is because the only place they throw out the net is in the church building. The four walls of the churches are the most evangelized real estate in all of the United Kingdom. If you're going to want to win this nation, you're going to have to go outside of these walls, into the highways, into the byways, and compel them to come. Our preaching of the gospel has to go beyond the four walls of the church. Can you say amen? Amen. My time is almost gone. As you go, preach. You see, it's not just you. It's not just going. You also got to preach. What does it mean to preach? It means to proclaim. It means to declare. If if you want to understand, some, some of you are saying, I can't do this because I don't have a theological degree. I can't do this because I've never been trained in a, in a seminary how to preach. Maybe you even feel like you don't know how to tell people adequately about Jesus. What if they have an objection? What if they start to argue with you? How will you respond? Can I tell you something, my friend? I'm going to simplify this for you. You know, we could have a, we could have a week-long seminar about how to evangelize and how to go out in the streets. I'm going to help you. Can I do that for you? If you'll open your heart right now, in the eight minutes that I have left, I will set you free from this. Actually, the Holy Spirit will set you free. But your mind will open. How many of you know the truth sets us free? Many times the bondages that we are under are bondages that take place between the ears. There's actually no chains on you. There's no restrictions on you. All your limitations are in your own mind. There's a, there's a, a word 
Actually, there's two words in the New Testament that are used for preaching. They are the words kerygma and caruso. The word caruso is the word for a loud public declaration. And, and a good example of this is that, you know, in, the, in, in ancient times, they did not have news outlets. They didn't have NBC and ABC and BBC. They didn't have Facebook and, and Instagram. That's not how people got their news. They didn't even have newspapers back then. What they had was people who were proclaimers. And so let's say that there were two nations at war. And, and the battle had been won out on the battlefield, but now the people back in town had to know who the ruler was, who the victor was. So what would happen is that the, the, the victorious king would send a person through the villages and the cities to proclaim the news that they had overcome, that they had victory over their enemies, that they had been, uh, they had been liberated. Whatever the news was, the, the proclaimer would go in to make that announcement. And he would do it with a loud public cry. That is the word caruso. It is the public cry of victory in battle. Of the announcement of a king ascending to his throne. That's what the word caruso means. And so Jesus takes this word and he talks about preaching the gospel. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. What he's not talking about is making some big drawn out theological presentation. He's not talking about debating. He's talking about proclaiming the simple truth of the gospel. There's a great story that I I love to use to illustrate this word. In America, we have this uh, celebration that happens in June every every year. It's called Juneteenth. And um, you probably haven't heard about this. Even a lot of Americans don't know about this. But it's, it's the celebration of Texas releasing the slaves after the Civil War in America. And you might wonder, why was that significant? Well, the Civil War had been fought, and the Emancipation Proclamation granted freedom to all of the slaves. But for two years, the state of Texas continued to keep those people under slavery. But it was illegal. They had no right to keep those slaves, but they did it anyway in defiance of the federal government. So two years later... The president sent a general named Gordon Granger with 2,000 armed soldiers into Galveston, Texas. And he stood up on the Ashton Villa and he read out general order number three, demanding that every slaveholder release the slaves. And the proclamation said, all of these slaves are free citizens of the United States. It is illegal to keep them captive any longer. And if you do so, we will liberate them by force if necessary. And that was the end of slavery in the United States. Now listen to me, my friends. Our job as Christians, when Jesus says to go and preach the gospel, that proclamation is a proclamation of liberation to all of those who are slaves to sin and slaves to the power of the devil. And you don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to be a great preacher. You just got to announce the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the reasons people have so many problems evangelizing is if they try to go in and explain something to somebody. I've never found that to be effective. Here's what is effective. My brother, my sister, Jesus Christ is the answer. 
for the problem that you're facing right now. He can set you free from drugs. He can set you free from sin. He can break the power of that addiction in your life. Jesus Christ can give you peace. That is the answer. And then you begin to pray. You see, when Gordon Granger arrived there in Galveston, Texas, he did not come alone. He came with 2,000 armed soldiers with him. Do you know why? Because he had to be ready to enforce that word with power if necessary. And that's why Jesus says, as you go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But don't stop there. Heal the sick. What is that? That's power. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Hallelujah. What is your job? Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever occupation you have, whatever ministry you're in, I can tell you one thing. Your job as a Christian is to what? Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. You say, Daniel, I I don't know how to do that. Oh, it's so easy. You know, I've seen amazing miracles. If I had time this morning, I could tell you story after story after story of the miracles that I've seen. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen the deaf ears open. I've seen cripples walk. I've seen missing limbs, body parts grow out. I've seen dead people come back to life again. And people ask me all the time, you know, I've been interviewed on television programs. I've been asked by different people to to, to give testimonies for the books that they're writing. People want to know, how do you do this? And my testimony to them is always the same. Actually, miracles are the easiest part of my job. Do you know why? Because I don't do them. I've never performed a single miracle. I've seen thousands, but I've never performed one. Jesus performed every single one of them. My little tiny part was just to pray, just to give him a chance to work. I want you all to stand. Worship team, would you come? I remember one time I was working in, my, in the yard at my house, and my daughter was about four years old at the time. Just a sweet little girl with big eyes, so, such, a, such a daddy's girl. And I was, I was working in the yard. There was this big plank. It was about 30 feet long. I don't know what that is in meters. What is that, like three, 10, 10 meters? 10 meters long, 300 pounds. What's that in kilograms? What, it's heavy. It's very heavy, okay? 300, what is it? 150 kilograms. Heavy even for a big guy. And so I had, to, I had to pull this log, this beam, from one side of the yard to the other side of the yard. And so I hoisted one side up under my arm, and I was dragging it with all of my might across the yard. And my four-year-old daughter looked through the window and saw me. She had a teddy bear tucked under one of her arms. She was still in her pajamas. And she saw me out there working and she opened the door and she ran out. She said, daddy, 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 let me help you. And I said, well, sweetheart, just go and push that other side. And so you can imagine this little four-year-old girl, her hair in pigtails, you know, on each side, a teddy bear under one arm in her pajamas with one hand, she's pushing like this. And when we got to the other end of the yard, I put the beam down and I wrapped my arms around her. I got down on my knee. I said, sweetheart, thank you so much for helping daddy. You're such a big girl. And her 
She was just smiling and her eyes were beaming. She couldn't wait to run back inside and tell her mom about how helpful she had been. But you and I both know the truth, don't we? She wasn't that helpful. In fact, she might have even made the job more difficult because I didn't want to hurt her. So why did I involve her in my project? Because I love her. And it brings joy to my heart that she finds joy in me. My friend, listen, this is what Jesus says. After all of this, he says, as you go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Then he adds this statement. Freely you have received. Freely give. What is he saying? He's saying that at the end of the day, you didn't earn any of this. Your offering of the gospel and the power of the gospel, even if it's the most extraordinary exploit, something like raising the dead, actually, you're just giving away what you freely received anyways. It's easy. God doesn't use us because he needs us. There's nothing we bring to the table that impresses him. Like my four-year-old daughter, he doesn't involve us because he needs our help. He's already doing the heavy lifting. When you preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit partners with you. It says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, that as they went out, they preached everywhere and God was working with them, confirming the word with signs following. You see, here is the beautiful truth that when you obey what I've just preached and you go, I challenge you to try this this week. Just determine in your heart, say, I'm going to talk to one person every day about Jesus. And you're going to make an amazing discovery. If you will step out in faith, God will work with you. And he will do what you thought was impossible. And you will find yourself being used by him in extraordinary ways. I want to just give you a chance to respond to this this morning. I'm not going to do a big altar call because this is between you and the Lord. But here's what I want for us to do. How many of you would say, I want God to give me a heart for the lost? Let me see your hands. Now don't raise your hand lightly because heaven is looking at this. And I don't know if you realize what it means to have a heart for the lost, but it's serious. If you really desire this, I want you to take your hand and put it on your heart. And I want you to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, help me to love what you love. Break my heart with what breaks yours. Help me, Jesus, to obey your command. To go, to preach, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out devils, to freely give what I have received. I say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Take my life. Use me for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus.